Well, many of us, uh, maybe all of us, like to save a little time here and there. We like shortcuts. Um, when our GPS tells us that there's a route that might save us two more minutes, uh, we get excited. Um, at Costco, we look for not only the shortest line, but the line with the checker that doesn't talk much and gets the work done so we can get through that line. Um, when you pull up to a red light, we play the game of trying to figure out not only which line is longest, but, but does that car look like it drives slow or fast? Because we need to save an extra couple seconds as we go through. Uh, the Instant Pot just kind of exploded onto the scene a few years ago. We finally got one. Um, but when we got one, someone told us right away, it's not as instant as you would think it is. Uh, Two-day shipping on, uh, from Amazon apparently isn't enough anymore. Now we can get a lot of things in just one day, and nothing is wrong with these fast, fast options. But have you ever noticed that, that there aren't shortcuts in God's kingdom? He doesn't seem to be as concerned with, with saving time like we are. Uh, David, who was anointed to be king early in 1 Samuel, uh, he's faced with an opportunity in this passage to speed up his path to the throne that God has already promised him. Uh, but David waits. He trusts in the Lord's timing. He, he's patient. He trusts in the Lord's promise, the Lord's word. He trusts that the Lord will deliver him from his enemies. And every day, multiple times a day, we're faced with the question, will I trust the Lord today? Will I trust the Lord in this situation, in that circumstance. Here's our truth statement with today's passage. God delivers those who trust his word and his ways above their own wisdom and desires. God delivers those who trust his word and his ways above their wisdom, their own wisdom and desires. So last week in our passage, we left off David and Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, the, the king who wants David dead. Jonathan tells David, yes, you're, you're right. My dad wants you dead. You need to get out of here. So David flees in haste and he doesn't have time to even grab supplies. So he's on the run. We come to chapter 21 and 21 verses 1 through 9. He, he tries to get some supplies. He comes to the city of Nob. And there, there's a priest there, Ahimelech, and he asks the priest, hey, do you have any food? And he, he, he seems to fabricate this story that he's on like a secret mission from Saul that's, that's really hush-hush and important. And the priest says, the only food I have is, is, is the holy bread, the bread of the presence. Yeah, this is for priests. But, but eventually he, he gives it to David, and there's more we could say about that, but there's, there's a lot of chapters we're getting into today. So then he asks, is there... A, is there a weapon that, that I could have, a spear, a sword, anything? And, and the priest says, well, actually, yeah, um, the sword from Goliath is here. And, and you kind of wonder, like, David, did you really know that the sword from Goliath is there? I wonder if that's actually why this is where David went to. So he gives him the sword. He gives him the bread. Uh, but then in verse 7, um, the author uh, lets us see something important. He says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. And, and, and if, you, if you remember the Edomites, there's not a great history here, right? If this was like a Star Wars movie and, and there were good guys in this scene and then just out of the corner of your eye, you, you, you spot 
like a, a um, oh my goodness, I can't even think of a Star Wars character. Bad guys, Nels. <laughs> sure, Darth Vader. I was thinking Stormtroopers. Stormtroopers. You see a Stormtrooper there or Darth Vader or Darth Maul or any of them. Um, you would know like, oh no, something bad is about to happen. So as we see Doeg here, uh, we realize, we get this eerie feeling um, and that will come true later. Thank you, Nels, by the way. Uh, verses 10 through 15. So David, he's on the run. He takes off to Gath. Now, Gath is a surprising city for him to hide in. This is a Philistine city. We've heard of this city earlier in the story. It's a Philistine city. David has killed tons of Philistines. It's uh, a head scratcher to me that David thought that maybe he could hide in this city incognito, that no one would notice him. Uh, it's also interesting because this is Goliath's hometown. And David happens to be carrying the sword of Goliath. I would imagine that this sword was probably pretty recognizable, especially in Goliath's hometown. Well, David is spotted right away. Uh, the, the men tell the king, Akesh, they tell him, hey, David's here. And the funny thing is they, they call him, they say, David, the king of Israel is here. And that somehow they thought that he, he was the king. Maybe it's because he was leading Israel in all their battles against the Philistines. And they'd heard the song that Saul had killed thousands and David his ten thousands. And for the first time in the story of Samuel, we're told that David is afraid. And David, he's faced lions and bears back when he was a shepherd. He, he's faced Goliath with, with just a sling and killed Goliath. He's escaped out of a window um, his wife helped him out this window as his father-in-law Saul was trying to kill him. Three different times, Saul's thrown a spear and, and narrowly missed David. Now it says that David is afraid. David is essentially a fugitive. Even though he's done nothing wrong, he's living the life of a criminal on the run. And he must be so desperate that he thought it would be better to hide in the Philistine city than in Israel where Saul has everyone out to kill him. Psalm 56.3 is one of the Psalms that's connected to our passage today. There are several, but David says this, uh, Psalm 56, verse 3, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? So David, even though he's afraid, puts his trust in the Lord and what the Lord has promised. And David is a, a crafty guy. I don't know how he came up with this idea, but he pretends uh, to be insane. He, he starts drooling down his beard and, and no doubt acting funny, perhaps with his hands or saying weird words or looking around. And, and the king of Gath looks at him and he says, I don't need more madmen. Just get him out of here. And once again, we see that David is saved, or God has saved his servant, David. All Achish had to do was say, yeah, just arrest him. Let's finally rid ourselves of David, this problem. But God uses David's plan of looking like he's a madman to save him. Proverbs 21 says, the hearts of kings are like streams in the, hand, in the hands of God. He turns them whichever way he likes. God is in control here, even of Achish. He has no problem saving his anointed one. 
So David's gone from there in chapter 22. Um, David's hiding in a cave and people are, are going to come gather to David as he hides in this cave. Uh, I, I, like everyone, I've had some low points in my life. I've never once had to hide. I've only hidden when I'm like playing a game uh, when I was growing up or, or now with my kids. Uh, I've explored caves uh, for fun, but never to save myself. Um, and, and my guess is you probably haven't either. But we all know the feeling uh, when, it, it, when we know what God has told us, and yet it's so hard to trust because it seems like his promises are way out of reach. Psalm 57, 2 and 3, David again connected to uh, this passage. He says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. In the midst of this cave, in the midst of running for his life, David trusts in the Lord. Well, David uh, must have sent word to his family because his whole family, his, whole, his father's whole household, it says, comes to him. And, and no doubt to, to comfort him. But I'm sure that just being related to David made them a stench in Saul's eyes. They were no doubt in, uh, in danger themselves. And then other people started showing up. Verse 2 of chapter 22. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with, uh, there were with him about 400 men. So David's hiding in this cave. He gets word out to his family. They come to him. But then word must have spread a little bit further. And he gets these people that, that are broke, people that are depressed, people that, that are bitter in soul, uh, kind of the, the, the losers of Israel come and gather to him and he becomes their commander. And I don't have a military background, but I'm pretty sure these aren't the people that David would have recruited to be in his army. They're not exactly the pick of the litter. But what these people had in common was that uh, Saul's kingdom wasn't working out for them the way it was supposed to. He wasn't the kind of king that they thought they were going to get. And I'm sure you remember that Israel had looked around at the neighboring nations and they saw how they were living and they said, we need a king. We need someone that will go out and fight for us. We need someone that we can trust in to fight our battles. Samuel, give us a king. Tell God to give us a king. Well, they had a taste of Saul's kingdom and it left them wanting. Even though King Saul is just like Samuel had warned them. So here's David hiding in a cave. He's got 400 men with him who are completely dissatisfied with Saul as king. And they went out to search out the king that they'd heard of, that David would be the king. And it sounds really depressing, but I think it actually mirrors what we in this room know. Every one of us here has, that has decided to follow Jesus, we have a story actually like this. We've lived in this world to varying degrees. We've tried what this world has to offer but none of it is what we thought it was, right? The, the promise of happiness, the, the promise that we would find life in, in these different things doesn't pan out. We realize that, that the promise of satisfaction or fulfillment, that they aren't true. 
every one of us that has decided to follow Jesus, we've realized that we're not good at being the king. And if we tried to make other things our king, we've realized they fall short too. And then God revealed to us his king. We heard about a king named Jesus, the Christ, God's anointed. We left looking for this king that was different from anyone we'd ever heard of. And we realized that he is the king. He's the true king. And to the world, trusting Jesus as king of your life looks like utter foolishness. Probably like going to a cave to find the future king that's hiding on the run must have seemed. If you remember, uh, as we entered Advent season, the first week we talked about this, this picture, this theme of exiles that runs throughout scripture. And here I think we have a, a little picture of, of God's people uh, living as exiles. They're exiles because they wanted to be with God's anointed, with the king. Not, not the king that was David's enemy, but they left what they knew to live in a cave, to live this life that would be on the run with David and God's people have lived that way. Understanding that this world is not our own, but we live as exiles. We're waiting to live with our king in his kingdom. So David becomes the commander of these men. And verse three says, David went from there to uh, Mizpah in Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. So David goes and he wants his aging mom and dad to have a safe place. And these are, uh, these are the enemies of Saul, but this is where David's great grandmother Ruth was. So, so maybe there's a connection here, a, a safe place for them to stay. But it's interesting in, in the story of 1 Samuel, this is the first time we've seen a good relationship between a kid and his parents way back since Hannah and Samuel. We've seen Saul's family disintegrating as he uh, thirsts for power and thirsts for his own kingdom. But David's family is doing the opposite. You remember when David went and he heard about Goliath, his oldest brother was rebuking him, telling him that his, his heart was wicked. He knew why he was doing this. And now God has brought his family together around David. Well, then the scene switches in verses six through nine to Saul and his men. David's hiding in a cave. People are afraid, distressed. And then here's Saul. He's out in the open under a tree, sitting with his warriors that he has handpicked. And Saul looks like he's in a better spot. Things seem calm. Or as David and his men are distressed and bitter in soul. But you hear the words of Saul. And he's laying a guilt trip on his men. He's saying, hey, how did no one tell me about Jonathan, my son, making a deal with David? And the men are silent. But then finally Doeg, the Edomite, the guy who's trying to compare to a stormtrooper, Doeg steps up and he says, oh, wait, I've got some news for you. I saw David. He was in the city of Nob. And Ahimelech, the priest, he gave him bread and he gave him the sword of Goliath. Well, Saul orders Ahimelech to come to him. In verse 10, he brings in Ahimelech and he interrogates him, finds out that he did help David. And he orders his servants to kill not only Ahimelech, but all the priests. And the servants don't do it. No way. I'm not killing a priest. And it looks for a moment like they may be saved, but then Doeg steps up and he says, I'll do it. 
and he kills Ahimelech. He kills all the priests, but he doesn't stop there. He kills everyone in the city of Nob. And the only one to escape is Abiathar. Abiathar, where's he going to run to? Well, he runs to David. Like everyone else who sees that life with Saul is death. It's no life at all. Verse 22 David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. He who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. Man, couldn't Jesus say those same words to us? Do not be afraid. I will keep you safe. The enemy who seeks to destroy you wants to destroy me. On chapter 23, David hears about the, the people of Keilah, that the Philistines are coming up against them. So David, uh, he, he's going to save Keilah. He inquires of the Lord, should I, should I go to Keilah? Can I save them from the Philistines? And this is what Saul should be doing. Right? He's the king. He's the acting king right now. He should be saving his people. But this is David. This is David's heart. He inquires of God and God says, yes. And David tells his men, hey, we're going to go. And remember, right, they're not exactly the best uh, military personnel. They're afraid. They say, no, we don't want to go. So David inquires again of the Lord. And this is what the Lord says, verse, verse 4. Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. Commentator John Woodhouse points out that God gives a command to go. And he gives a promise, I will give the Philistines into your hand. The command on its own can be terrifying. It scared David's men. But paired paired with the promise that I will give them into your hand, it becomes realistic. And when we separate God's commands from his promises, the command can seem burdensome. It can seem impossible. Remember uh, Jesus with his disciples, Matthew 28. He says, go, make disciples of all nations. If we take that by itself and separate it from the promise, that seems impossible. That is impossible. But then Jesus says, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, David, here's the promise and the command. And he he gets his men and they go and they save Keilah. Verses 6 through 14, David hunts down, or Saul comes to hunt David in Keilah. He heard that David is in Keilah. And this is what he says in verse 7. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Saul thinks that that God has really given David into his hand. We're we're susceptible, every one of us, when, when our desires and circumstances meet even just a little bit, we're susceptible to thinking this must be what God is doing. And, and that's exactly what Saul does. And we'll see that later with David's men too. He sees that because David's in this city and I know it, and the city is barred, it's got gates, he'll be trapped, I'll get him. Saul had ways of hearing about David and, and his whereabouts. He had an intelligence network that was pretty good in telling him where David was. But David, his intelligence network was always just a little bit better. He heard that Saul was coming. So he inquires the Lord, it will, will Saul come? Lord, yes, he will come. Will, will the men of Keilah give me over to Saul? Yes. And this is surprising, right? He just saved Keilah. 
but it tells us how fearful God's people were of Saul. Maybe they had heard what had just happened in the city of Nob, that, that, that Saul had all the people killed just because one person, one priest helped David out. So David takes off, he hides elsewhere, and Saul hears that, that he's on the run. He gives up the expedition. And then in verse 14, it says, David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country uh, of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Saul was wrong. God wasn't giving David into his hand. God was protecting his anointed one. God can't be stopped. Evil does not prevail. No matter how desperate circumstances appear, those who trust in God, those who trust in God's word and his ways will be saved. Verse 16, Jonathan comes in. Jonathan saw son who rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. He said to him, do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Then he says, you shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh and Jonathan went home. So Jonathan comes at great risk so that he can encourage David, so that he can put strength into his hand. And he told him what God is doing. He told him, you will be the king, David. I guarantee that there had to be times for David when it was just really, really hard to trust that God was in all of this. But Jonathan reminds him, no, this is what God's doing. And I will be next to you. I'll be second in command right behind you. And they renew their covenant together. Are you you anything like Jonathan? Are you a person that's looking for ways to encourage and strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ. I was talking to a missions pastor um, up at a church uh, up north this last week. I was just picking his brain on on all kinds of things. We were talking about uh, short-term trips and what kind of team members you look for. Um, And one of the things he said is, uh, man, I I want people that give life. I want people that give life on the team, not um, not people that suck life. And And then he said, you know those people, like they've got their umbilical cord and they're, they're just walking around and they're ready to plug it into somebody and just suck the life right out of them. Man, I trust, I trust that that's not who we are. I trust that, that we, we wanna be an encouragement to other believers. So who in your life do you need to encourage in Christ? Who, who should you start praying for? How can you be like Jonathan, encouraging someone to continue in following hard after the Lord, pointing them back to his word, pointing them back to his ways? I've had a number of people through through my years that have encouraged me. At just the right time, God would bring someone along. I remember back as a high schooler, there was a guy named Rob Brabeck that worked on our youth staff. He was the first person to ever tell me, Greg, I, I wonder I wonder about you being a pastor someday. And it was something I thought I'd never told anybody about before. And and here's Rob encouraging me. And all throughout my years in college, Rob was an encouragement to me. My my first mentor out of college, Clark Blakeman, was a huge encouragement to me. I cried in his office so many times, wanting to quit my job, thinking like, I just, I don't think the Lord's called me to do this. And and Clark was such a steadying presence. There are so many people in this room that, that send me a note or text me, or call me, or or pull me aside after church and share an encouraging word. That's what we do together, right? We need one another. God has given us one another. 
Well, God continues to protect David. Verses 19 through 29 and 23 here. Saul again hears where David is. David hears that Saul hears, so he takes off. And Saul hears like exactly where he is, like the, the next cave that he is hiding in. And so David, he's, he's on the run. He's on one side of the mountain. Saul's on the other side of the mountain chasing him. And he's catching up to him and his men. And then at just the right moment, a messenger comes to Saul. And he says, there's a Philistine attack. You gotta go. You gotta save your people. So Saul takes off. And David once again gets away. But he didn't, he didn't get away because he was quick or because he was crafty or cunning. No, David escaped because the Lord provided for him. And in chapter 24, Gypsy read for us, Saul is, is told where David is. They're, they're in this wilderness. And Saul now has 3,000 men with him. Verse 2 says, uh, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. Sounds like a fun place. Well, David's words were not chosen men, were they? they? They chose him. Saul had trained men in battle. And here's David, and he's hiding in this cave with, with at least some of his men. And then this figure walks into the cave. And I'm sure it took a moment for them to understand who it was. And they see that it was Saul walking into the cave. And you know, when your heart is beating so loud, you swear other people have to be able to hear it. I'm sure all of the men in that cave at that moment felt like that. Oh no, what is Saul doing here? Well, the author gives us a strange detail. Saul needs to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so Saul comes into the cave for a potty break as my five-year-old would say. And, uh, and here David has men. And I'm sure they're thinking, are you kidding me? Like out of all the caves, like anywhere Saul could have gone, he chose this cave to go to the bathroom right now. Verse four, the men said to David, here's the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. You shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. And what David's men say, it makes a ton of sense. And if anyone were there with him, we might have said the same thing. We would have thought the same thing. This has to be the work of the Lord. God is giving your enemy into your hand, right? We, we, we have our desires and circumstances and they line up and we assume that that must be what God is doing. But we heard what happens. Verse four continued, then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. This is not what you expect, right? David could have ended most, if not all of his life stressors in that moment. He had the skills to take out his enemy, but that's not where his trust was. I wonder where, where's your trust? Day in and day out, well, what is it that you trust in? Is it your abilities? Most of us, maybe all of us, put a ton of trust in money. Maybe it's your work ethic or relationships that you have. Maybe it's your intelligence, your wisdom. Maybe you live life just by trusting your gut, your instincts. With whatever life throws at us, do we trust in God? That's where David's trust is. He trusts his word. He trusts his ways over what he can see, over what people are telling him. Verse five, afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. 
He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up left the cave and went on his way. So David's convicted that, that he shouldn't have even just damaged the, the, the corner of Saul's robe. He shouldn't have put out his hand against the Lord's anointed. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, but the word hand keeps coming up in the, in the passage today. So often we take things into our own hands, especially when things get hard or when we feel like we've been wronged. We're so quick to justify that we should do something or that we shouldn't do something. Maybe, uh, maybe your employer mistreats you. So you find yourself after weeks and months, maybe even years of being mistreated, you find yourself justifying fudging your time card a little bit because they owe you. Or, or maybe it's with the government. You feel like the government is taking more than their fair share and the money they have, they're not handling well. So you don't report everything on your taxes this year or or single people. It's easy to justify when you're with that person that you're convinced you're going to be with the rest of your life. Maybe you're even engaged. It's easy to think, why withhold intimacy since, since we will be married soon? We so easily justify taking things into our own hands because of circumstances. But David, trusting Yahweh's word, trusting Yahweh's ways to deliver him from evil, even though it appeared to everyone that that that's exactly what God was doing in this moment, that God was delivering him. But David persuades them, no, trust in the Lord. Don't attack Saul. So Saul exits the cave, heads back down toward his army, David gets out of the cave in verse eight. And David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. It continues in verse 15. May the Lord therefore be judged and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you're more righteous than I, for you've repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you've declared this day how you have dealt well with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king. 
and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. David could have made the path to the throne really quick. Instead, he trusted in the word of the Lord. He trusted in God's ways. David trusted that God knew what he was doing. He trusted that God's timing was the best. He trusted that God delivers those who put their trust in him. David understood that the kingdom was not his to take, that the Lord had given the kingdom to Saul and that the Lord in his time would take it away from Saul. David's, uh, David reminds me of, of Peter's words about Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So what will you do when life takes hard turns? When you're faced with suffering, will you trust in the Lord? Or will you take matters into your own hands? Will you trust the Lord and his word and his promises? Will you wait on him? Matt uh, Q, at the beginning of the service, read from Psalm 34. I want to read a handful of verses for you, starting in verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. So much of scripture deals with suffering. So it's not a surprise that David, who, who points us to Jesus, that David would suffer on his way to the throne. Christ suffered. As we suffer in hardships, right? as we face trials, um, loneliness, depression, anxiety, loss, when we're wronged, we can know that Christ has suffered on our behalf and that he suffers with us. And we may feel like we're all alone in a dark cave like David, but if we're in Jesus, we're never alone. Like David trusted in God, so can we. He's the one who can deliver us. If you, uh, if you are suffering or if, you, um, if when you do suffer at some point, because all of us will, if you want to do that in a Christ-honoring way, I would encourage you to go to First Peter and just marinate in that book. This is a book that helps Christians know how we are to suffer in a way that honors him. Let me read from you um, from First Peter 4, and then I'll pray. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of uh, glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 
for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is uh, scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God, I thank you that we can trust in you. Lord, I thank you that, that we're not left to wander. God, that you have given us your word. Lord, we confess that we don't love your word as much as we, uh, as we should. Lord, we confess as we have unbelievable access to your word that we so often uh, push it to the side and make room for other things that, that truly don't matter. God, would we be a people, would we be a church that trusts in you, that trusts in your ways? Would we be a people that, that, um, that, that don't just see things lining up and, and assume that it's your will, Lord, but would we seek you, God? Would we wait on you in your timing? God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are suffering right now with whatever it is. God, whether it's family hardships, whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's a loss, Lord, would you meet them in that? Lord, I thank you that you're near the brokenhearted. God, that you love your people, that you do not abandon us. You go before us and behind us. Sometimes it feels like you're just carrying us, Lord. God, will we trust in you? It's in your name we pray. Amen.